in, in our series called The Prep Work, and we are talking about spiritual disciplines, things that we do, Christians do, in order to connect with God. Okay, And two weeks ago we talked about prayer and how that was a constant conversation with God. Last week we talked about study, how if we don't love God with our minds, we won't love him at all. And today we're talking about simply what I call the beast within. It's a spiritual discipline of submission. And basically the main thing is this. The submission is laying down the terrible burden of having to have our own way. That's what submission is. It's laying down the terrible burden of demanding and having to have your own way. Um, inside of us, the Bible tells us, is a bratty little kid that wants its own way. And the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes illustrates this the best. I, I, I love this. Calvin's talking to Hobbes. He said, I wish I could take, take a pill to be perfect, and I wish I could just push a button to have anything I want. Hobbes says, the American dream lives on. And Calvin says, why should I have to work for everything? It's like saying I don't deserve it. Well, guys, and every one of us is a Calvin that wants that. Bill Watterson has perfectly illustrated the Calvin within every single one of us. Uh, but the Bible describes our inner Calvin in much darker terms. Scripture tells us within every human being are two people, two natures. Okay? Well, it's one of the things... As a matter of fact, this concept, one of the things that satisfied me intellectually as a young Christian when I was in college and I was uh, investigating and, and, and growing in my faith, this, this concept of the two natures is something that really satisfied me intellectually and explained a whole host of things, both in my life and what I saw in the world. Um, it basically uh, has aptly described every struggle and every issue. And, and the Bible defines the two people, the two natures, as flesh and spirit. Okay? Flesh and spirit. The, the, they are polar opposites. They want completely different things. And, and every one of you are two people, two natures, and they're fighting for control, the Bible says. One is the flesh and one is the spirit. And they're a constant conflict with each other. And, and, and you realize that. You realize that when you go through life, that the life is a constant battle, and it makes perfect sense when you look at life. Romans 8, 5 through 14 says this. Paul writes this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You see, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit who raised him, uh, of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives within you. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers, Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit you put to deed, death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. There's a lot there, and we're going to talk about it, okay? We're going to talk about that. Some, some of you guys are scratching your heads. I think you lost me right about verse 6. That's, that's okay. We're going to talk about it, all right? First of all, the first thing we have to get, get clear 
is that within you and within me, and every human being that's ever lived and ever will live, there is a part of you that hates God. That's ugly to think about. That is so ugly to think about. That person is in there. And, and, and it's, 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 it's distressing to me as a Christian because I want to love God with everything that I am. I want to, I love God's laws. I love his word. I love what he's done in my life. I love what he's done in this church. I love what he's done in your lives, the stories, the testament. I love that. I love everything about that. And yet there's a part of me that hates God, that hates everything that he stands for, that hates every word out of his mouth. There's a part of me and there's a part of you. Romans 8, 7 through 8 basically talks about hating God. Hating God. So the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And all of a sudden, when I read this, a light bulb went off. And I said, that explains so much in this world. And now I understand why atheistic governments like the former Soviet Union, like China, like North Korea, Cuba, can behave like they do towards Christians. They, they're, they're, the leaders are governed by the flesh and they're hostile to God and they hate everything about him. And that flesh nature is winning over the spirit. You, know, that, 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 you wonder why you encounter people who are overtly hostile to your faith, who mock God. Well, this explains it. There are two natures within those people, and the flesh nature's winning. It was not just overt hostility by somebody else. Let's bring this home to ourselves. You wonder why you try to start an active prayer life, and two weeks into it, you've already fallen off the wagon. Uh, you, you wonder why you struggle with the same sins. Seems like the same stuff we struggled with five, ten years ago. We're still struggling with. We haven't conquered it. Still keeps coming back. Um, you, you're the same ones, same ones that you hate, the same ones that maybe destroyed your last marriage and are destroying your marriage now, and you're still doing it, and you wonder why. Now you understand why, because there's a part of you that hates God. Okay, the same one that landed you in rehab two years ago, and it's back with reinforcements. And you wonder why you can't kick it. You actually hate the substance. You hate the drink. You hate the drug. And it still comes back. You wonder why. Now, now you know why. You wonder why that thing in your life that has you having that conversation with God. You know that conversation with God where you look up at God and say, God, I'm telling you, this is the last time we're going to have this conversation. This is the last time you'll ever hear this. I'm telling you, God, I'm telling you, God, that, that this is no longer part of my life. This is gone. I am done with it. I'm telling you, God, this is the last time, right? How many of us had those conversations with God? Absolutely. Now you know why. Now you know why you have that conversation. Because there's a part of you part of me that hates everything about God. It hates the fact that hates the fact that he's God, hates his authority, rebels against his word, cannot handle the fact that someone would dare tell you what to do, that would dare call you out on a sin, that part of you that can't handle that. That's what I'm talking about. And see, this is also the part of you that's really good at explaining things away. 
The, the flesh nature is a master. And when I say a master, I mean a master of rationalization, of explaining things away. Of Well, God's word didn't really say that. They didn't really address my situation, even though it did. Um, uh, you know, God's word just really, that, that, that was written 2,000 years ago. That doesn't really apply to America in 2020. I think the Bible needs to get with the times, right? Or, or when we get really technical, I love this one. Uh, the Greek word really didn't say that. I love that one. We've heard it all. We've said it all. But one thing about this flesh nature that hates God, you can't reason with it. You can't bargain with it. It is unreasonable. It, it, uh, it, will, it can't be tempered back. It's, it, it cannot be controlled. It's like a feral cat living inside you. Right? And it's ugly to realize. We have to realize within us is that strong nature. And it'll win if we let it. Okay? The person who's never confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, the one who has never been baptized, never surrendered their life to Christ, all right? The Bible tells us that person is under control of this flesh nature. Okay? Plain and simple. First step to becoming a Christian is realizing that this beast within you, this part that hates God, it, it, you're powerless over it, like an addict over his choice, a drug of choice. You're powerless over it, and, and we're hopelessly lost because we're powerless over this flesh nature, and we are in desperate need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That is the first step to becoming a Christian. That's why Christ doesn't call us, the gospel doesn't call us to become better people. Did you know that? That the Bible does not ever once tell you to become a better person. The Bible doesn't say that you're just a, you know, you know kind of a, a good person needs to do better or even a decent person that can, that can apply some more principles to your life. That is never in the Bible. The Bible tells us this, that you and I are bad, worse, rebellious, worse, evil, worse, blasphemous, worse, dead people who are hopelessly lost without the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us, okay? And we're desperately in need of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Have I painted this picture clear enough? Okay? If we're self-aware enough, we all know this. I'm not telling you anything that you didn't experience in your own life this week, Okay? But there's another person, another nature that lives within Christians, and it's available to everyone. It's called the Spirit, and the Spirit is the exact opposite of the flesh nature. The flesh nature hates God. The Spirit loves God, and it's so loving God. Eight, uh, Romans 8, 5 through 7 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Those who live according with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Just as there's a nature within us that hates God, there's a nature within us that loves God, that loves everything about him, that loves his word. This is the part of you that celebrates when somebody gets baptized. You know, that, that part that you just want you to rejoice and you see that? This is the part of you that loves to forgive, that loves to do what God says to do. This is a part of you that has placed a burden on your shoulders to do missions, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to spread the faith, to, to uh, pass your faith on to your children, to your friends. This is the part of you that does that. Right? The exact opposite of the spoiled kid inside of you demanding and demanding its own way. This is a different part. And we all know people 
who are surrendered to the Spirit of Christ. We all know people who are living that way, just as we know people who are living according to that flesh nature, that spoiled kid demanding his own way. A part of you, loving God, though, is not your default nature. This is where we need to start talking. This is not your default nature. The default nature is a self-centered, narcissistic, spoiled brat living by the flesh. That's the default nature of humanity, okay? So that's why we who are, or that's who we are naturally without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And therefore, life's a daily battle to destroy that beast within, to live according to the spirit instead of according to the flesh, okay? And we can only do that by the grace of Jesus Christ. So when we practice the spiritual discipline of submission, what we do is we take, tell that beast inside, demanding its own way, hating God, down. And we live according to the spirit. So what does that look like? Well, this is what it looks like. The first thing, when you practice the spirit of submission, it affects two things. It affects your relationship with God and with other people. The first thing it affects is your relationship with God. You are free to let God be God. When you, when you practice spiritual discipline of submission, you allow God to be God. Isn't that interesting? For a lot of my life, you guys, I've struggled with letting God be God. You wouldn't think that pastors would struggle with letting God be God, but we do, maybe more than anyone else. Um, especially as pastor, this is difficult, like I said, because we're called to bring the gospel to people. We're called to, to counsel people, to teach. And many times people don't listen. I've shared the gospel with people who haven't accepted it. Um, I've counseled people who've come to me for advice, and we sat down with the word of God and said the word of God says this, they walk out the door do something completely different. And the natural reaction is to get angry, to criticize that person, or to doubt myself and methods. And I like to think that comes from a healthy place because I do want people to walk with Christ. I want people to, to, to I'm zealous for people to be followers of Christ. I want that more than anything in the world. That's what I want for all of you all. Maybe too much so sometimes. Not because I want to force things, but because I just believe so passionately in following Christ. All right, but I realize that God not, has not given me the power to change so much as one thought in someone's mind without their consent. I'm, I, I don't know if he's given you that power. He hasn't given me that power. And God worked within me to practice spiritual discipline and submission, tamping down that overboard obsession for people to believe as I do and, and, and act as I do or as I think they should. And what happens when you let God be God, which is difficult, is that you stop imposing and you start proposing. There's a big difference between imposing and proposing. Imposing means you force someone to do things your way. Proposing means you try to cast a better vision for life. Okay? Uh, Im immaturity, you guys, imposes. I don't know if you know that or not. Immaturity is what imposes. Immaturity can't handle anything other than what it already believes. And, and the flesh nature is immature, and the flesh nature imposes. Tells a person what to do. Shuts them down if they, if they do something that, that, that the person doesn't want them to do. But proposing means I've got a better way. I don't want to tell you about it. Falls in your court. See, guys, when we let God be God, we move to proposition and away from imposition. One of the criticisms of the church is that you're always trying to impose your beliefs on people. You've heard that, right? That's usually said by someone who's trying to impose their beliefs on you. Really? But we in the church, we Christians, we don't impose. 
we propose. Okay? We resist the urge to impose our beliefs, our ways, our thoughts on people. One, because it doesn't work. A mind changing against its will is of the same opinion still. You can't force people to do anything. The second thing is, is though we have to let God be God. He's the only one that can change people. And practicing the spiritual discipline of submission is, that, that's, oh, that is so hard to do, realizing that only God can change people, and I have to step back, and I have to let God be God. Man, that's tough. Because many of us have loved ones that are going down paths they shouldn't be going down, and we feel powerless to stop them. Children who've walked away from the faith, spouses who are destroying their marriages, family members who are sharply divided over a political situation. I don't know if you knew that or not. We have daily practice of spiritual discipline and submission, allowing God to be God, and allowing God to work on their hearts and to change them. You say, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. The flesh nature within you is telling you you can't, but the spirit nature is saying, yes, you can. Okay? First thing about the spiritual disposition is acknowledging that God is God and we aren't. Now, this is not a shirking of responsibility. This is not saying, well, hands off, can't do anything, I'm just going to go uh, crawl in my hole and be a hermit. No, no. We have been given the great commission where we should go into all the world and make disciples. We, we, we've been given that, so we can't, we can't shirk responsibility. But it is so freeing to realize the results of a person are not up to you, that it's up to God, that we let God be God. We are simply called to be faithful, not successful. You know, in your struggles with your family member going down the wrong path, you are not responsible for their decisions. You're responsible for proposing a better way whose name is Jesus Christ. And you're to allow God to ha have sovereignty over the results. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Do we ever stop proposing a better way? No. We realize results are up to God. And that is a very freeing and joyful thing. The second thing that happens is that we, be we become at peace with his lordship in our lives. At peace with his lordship in our lives. Um, Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, so many of us, people in here, will describe their lives as a battle with God. Battle, like wrestling for control of my life. I know what God's word says, but I want to do this, and it's a constant battle. How many of you all would describe your life like that? Absolutely, a lot of us would. Right, But practicing the spiritual discipline of submission is where you finally surrender. You throw your heart wide open and say, God, I am not God. It is your way, and I'm making peace because I'm done fighting. I'm just going to submit to your lordship. I'm not going to question your word anymore. I'm not going to try to argue. I'm not going to have this seething anger when you call me out of my sin. Lord, I'm done. I'm just surrendered. That's what it means. You sue for peace between you and God. You cease the constant battle between you and God for control of your life. I was talking to one of our missionaries, Rob Esposito, is one of my, one of my really good friends. Rob, if you're watching, watching uh, thanks for allowing me to share this. We were, we were talking, and we were just kind of catching up. And he was talking about what drove him down to Honduras. He's known, he's known for 15, 20 years that he's supposed to be a missionary in Honduras. Okay? And he was doing youth ministry. We did youth ministry together. And when he, uh, when, when he was, uh, well, he gave me permission to share this, so I'll, I'll share it. <laughs> um, he ran from that calling. <clears throat> he ran from that calling very, very hard. Married someone 
He had no business marrying. Um, tried to get involved with a church here, tried to get involved with a church here, tried to do small groups here, tried to uh, be youth minister here. God closed every single door. And sometimes it was ugly. Sometimes it was ugly, very ugly. There was one time where I had to chase him down because he was running. I didn't know what he was going to do. Holy Spirit said, don't let him go. And I had to talk him off a ledge many times during this period of struggle. And it wasn't until he said, God, you have this call in my life. You've ruined every other option. I am There's no other place for me to go. No church will hire me. No place will give me a second chance. I'm going to Honduras. Finally went to Honduras. He's been there for about seven years, seven, eight years now, getting ready to plant a church. He found his new bride down there, have a child. See, it wasn't until he surrendered to the lordship of Christ, that life began to work out. And that same thing is true for you. When you practice the spiritual discipline of submission, you're at peace with God's lordship in your life. There are a lot of people in here that have not made that peace yet. You're still fighting God, still fighting him for control of your life. He has you to do, he wants you to do this, you want to do this, and it's a tug of war. When we practice the spiritual discipline of submission, we simply say, Lord, You are God, I'm not. I surrender, I'm done. And that's when life truly begins to be joyful, okay? So it affects our relationship with Christ, but also affects our relationship with people, all right? Your relationship with people. The first thing that happens when you you practice a spiritual discipline of submission is that you lose the need to control others, okay? This is something our nation needs more than anything right now. Proverbs 26, 17, the Bible, God's word, 3,000 years ago they had this problem. This is what it says, like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. Hmm. I saw a question posted on social media just this morning as I was praying and kind of going over this, mess, uh, over this message. And it said this, I think you guys will like this. Would you hate a friend or family member for voting differently than you? Um, I I got some of the responses that I could actually say publicly. There were a lot of things that were incredibly ugly in response to that. The overwhelming majority of people said, yes, I would. I would hate a person that voted differently than me. And they didn't say so in those terms. Here were a few of the ones that I can repeat. Person said, absolutely, I could never tolerate treason against my country. Another person said, I'm sitting here figuring out what's the best way to tell him to F off forever. Another one, maybe out of respect for my mother, I just won't say anything until she dies, then tell him what a, uh, he is. Another person said, of course not. Everyone has a right to be a complete a-hole and destroy this country. Hmm. See, one of the 
stages in life. I think it's a necessary stage in life. I've been through it, and most everybody has that, that, that's older, and there, there's some young people that are in it right now. And I'm not criticizing any, anyone for being in it. I think it's a natural stage. And that's the everyone should think like me stage. I think it's a natural thing. I'm not criticizing anybody for being there. Um, I saw it in myself strongest. I still have a little bit of it, but, but I, I saw it myself the strongest when I was in my early 20s, maybe, late teens, early 20s, in college, seminary. Um, uh, see, immaturity see things, sees things completely either or. Imm- immaturity says everyone should agree with me, everyone would agree with me if they just had all the facts. And, and as a matter of fact, God himself would agree with me if he had all the facts. That's what immaturity says. And so when someone disagrees or have a total, has a different opinion or sees things a different way, the person in that stage of life makes the assumption that the person is either foolish or ignorant, or, or, or is evil or ignorant. Doesn't have all the facts, or if it has all the facts, they're evil. See that in our nation right now. Okay? Like I said, this can be rather benign, as in when sports fans razz each other. That kind of thing. I had a great time with my friends from Tennessee this past week. It was great. Even though I'm not really a Kentucky fan, they think I am, so it was great. You know? and, uh, but it can also be very divisive and toxic. The worst abuses in history have been movements dedicated to stomping out the wrong beliefs and opinions of other people. The Inquisition in the medieval times. The Red Guard movement in China during the Great Leap Forward, where 20 million people died, the brown shirts of Nazi Germany, all done by youth. These weren't 16, 70-year-old people doing this. This was all done by 20-somethings, convinced that they themselves were correct and everyone else was wrong. And the fact that someone else had another opinion, needed, they needed to be stomped out. See, John, comedian John Cleese, I think, summed this up perfectly. He said this, people who cannot control their emotions will always try to control the actions of others. I like that. People who cannot control their emotions will always try to control the actions of others. Many of you have experienced this recently. really have. Many of you have experienced division in your family, your place of work, maybe among friends. And, and, and one of the most glaring examples I've seen of this was just this past week. Rap, rapper 50 Cent, I'm, I'm not getting into uh, the political situation. Rapper 50 Cent uh, looked at tax things and he said uh, I don't want to be 20 cent is what he said and he came out and endorsed our current president Chelsea Handler who herself is a white woman and apparently she is a comedian although I've never seen her, her say something funny she said this I had to remind him he was a black person And she went off on him on social media. Just think about that for a second. Here is a, a white woman who is basically trying to, trying to make comments about what a person should do, what she thinks that person should do, and trying to racially shame him in the process. I'm not here to make political commentary. But I am here to say that is a perfect example of trying to control someone else. 
People who can't control their emotions, you all, will try to control the behavior of other people. See, what happened in Chelsea Handler's life, she had an emotional reaction to somebody endorsing the current president. And because she could not control that emotion, she couldn't say, oh, well, you know, this is, this, this is my problem, not his. Because she couldn't control that, she therefore had to control his actions. She had to get him to change because she could not handle what was going on inside of her. So she had to force someone else to change. Okay, that's what's going on here. And that's what happens when we do not practice spiritual discipline of submission. We try to control others because we are immature and cannot control our own emotional reactions. If you want to know what's going on in the world, that's exactly what's going on. Okay? Basically saying, I can't control my emotions, therefore I have to control you. I can't handle someone else having a different opinion. I can't, have, I can't handle someone else uh, disagreeing with me, and therefore I have to shame them, or I have to hurt them. I have, to, I have to enact violence against them. I have to shut them down. I cannot handle someone with this, making this emotional reaction within me, therefore I have to control them. Okay? We're seeing that more and more. And this is totally wrong for God's holy people. Totally wrong. Totally inappropriate for God's holy people. On the contrary... The Holy Spirit calls us to self-control, one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Nine things the Holy Spirit does within us. The last one is self-control. And we are to not try to control other people. We're trying to, to control ourselves. The spiritual discipline of submission releases us from the obsession to control other people. Not only are we free from the obsession of that, we're free to actually value other people, to actually value other people. In his, in his brilliant work, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster writes this, in submission we are at last free to value other people. Their dreams and plans become important to us. We have entered into a new, wonderful, glorious freedom, the freedom to give up our own rights for the good of others. For the first time we can love people unconditionally. We have given up the right to demand that they return our love. No longer do we feel that we have to be treated a certain way. We rejoice in their successes. We feel genuine sorrow in their failures. It is of little consequence that our plans are frustrated if their plans succeed. It means you are set free from the seething anger and bitterness you feel when someone doesn't act toward you the way you think they should. Wow. That is good stuff, you guys. That is powerful stuff. So the question is, do you truly see life as a competition? Holy Spirit tells us not to. The Bible tells us not to. We're, we're, we're not in competition with people. If, if your plans are frustrated and someone else has succeeded, that's not on you. We're supposed to celebrate with those who celebrate. We're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. We're supposed to, uh, we, we, are, we are called to, to, to value other people. Only then can we unconditionally love people. When you see this, it's not about you. It's not about you. We're free to value other people. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if, you, if you've ever looked at the world this way. When we cease this, this, this demand that people treat us as we think that they should be, that we should be treated, that, that somehow the world owes us, and we're free to actually love unconditionally truly are. And then the last thing is that we're free to be at peace with the world. One of the things that people constantly send me messages about 
is the anxiety, the fear, the stress. What's going to happen in November? What's going to happen? I don't know. I really don't. God hasn't sent me an angel to tell me this is what's going to happen. This is after this election next year. I, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. When I allow God to be God, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Because I can either worry about it and it'll happen, or I can be at peace with it and it'll happen. Where's like a rocking chair? You look like you're spending a lot of energy, but you're really not going anywhere. And when you practice the spiritual discipline of submission, you're free to be at peace with the world. The Bible says this, Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That may be a good message for us today in this election year. Do you know that we're supposed to be at peace with people who are on the opposite side of the ideological spectrum? You know we're supposed to be at peace with people that vote differently than you? You know that we're supposed to be at peace with people in your family, in this church, in this community, your friends that believe very differently than you? You know you're supposed to be at peace with that as much as it depends on you? The Bible says. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. And what this means to me, you guys, just kind of bringing it all home, is I need to cease this obsessive, compulsive desire to get everyone else to see things my way. Husbands and wives, you understand how toxic it is trying to force your spouse to see things your way. Friends, co-workers, you understand how toxic it is when you're trying to get someone to see things your way. We need to just basically just cease that. Cease the obsession to control other people. Cease the emotional reactions when things don't go as I want them to go. And instead, what this says to me is I need to work on me. I'm not need, I don't need to work on you. I don't need to work on President Trump. I don't need to work on Joe Biden. I don't need to work on whoever's running for office here. I don't need to work on the people that are voting for them. That is not my responsibility. It's not, and I'm going to stop, and I'm instead going to work on the only person that I can actually influence, and that's me. I need to make sure my mind is being filled with Scripture. I need to make sure that my heart is not embittered towards this world. I need to make sure that my steps are the ones that God wants me to take. It means that I need to make sure that my attitudes are the ones that, will, that, that God's want, God wants me to have. I need to make sure that the words out of my mouth, I can't control the words out of anyone else's, I have to control the words out of mine, are, as Ephesians 4.29 says, not unwholesome and useful for building people up. That's what the spiritual discipline of submission says. I'm going to work on no one but myself. I'm going to make sure my own house is in order before I go talking about other people's houses. Does that make sense? And when we live like that, when we live the spiritual discipline of submission, it's a whole new freedom that opens up to us where we are at peace with God and we're at peace with the people around us. So this week, if you have never surrendered to Christ 
if you are living by that bratty kid that is demanding his own way and demanding that people do what you want them to do and demanding satisfaction and demanding and demanding and demanding. If you're living by that and you have never become a Christian, you want to slay that, I want to invite you to become a Christian today and begin living by the Spirit of God that loves everything there is about God. And, and join me in the battle to slay the beast within, to give up this demand that things go as we want them to go and begin embracing a new freedom where the only person we try to change is ourselves. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that, uh, that there's a new freedom that is in this room. Our nation is obsessed with controlling the opinions and beliefs and actions of others. We see it every day. And people will get violent if they have to to try to control the thoughts and beliefs of someone else. Father, let that never be a part of our church. Let us live instead worrying about our own beliefs, our own actions, and being at peace with both you and with this world. Lord, tamper that beast within us, that flesh nature. And I pray that you would, by, by the power of the cross, power of the resurrection, just slay that within us. Lord, you called us to come and die. And what you mean is that, that, that sin nature, that flesh nature needs to die. And we need to be resurrected, living according to your spirit. Lord, I pray that every person in here and, and that is joining us online Simply live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Every single day, Lord, defeating our flesh, defeating our sin nature, and loving you with everything that we are. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have called us to live. Thank you, Lord, for freeing us from the demand that other people do what we want them to do. Lord, let us love one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray.